0: Uh, I, I mentioned, uh, I was in a, an environment yesterday where I was talking to somebody and about the subject of the message and immediately like, well, is it going to be like this speaker or this so-and-so? And, and, and like, I'm not even going to name names. I'm like, yeah, I don't even know what that means, but no, we're not going whatever direction you think we're going with that. Uh, but about five years ago, there was an article that I read and it was called the Sunday Morning Stick Up. And the article went on to elaborate how uh, some churches have devised all sorts of creative ways and uh, into uh, whether it's guilt or distorting scripture to ultimately compel people to give. And sadly, as as a leader, as a church leader, I just want to publicly acknowledge and publicly apologize uh, that this has been an embarrassing reality within certain segments of the church for unfortunately centuries, Uh, this thing that we call the church. And so it's not surprising that many people feel all the church wants is my money. And for a lot of people, that ends up translating into... God just wants my money. Maybe you grew up believing that. Maybe you had a family member, a grandparent, like, I don't go to church because all they want is my money, and I don't want to experience that. Or maybe you heard televangelists go and like, hey, you need to send more money. You just need to believe. You send a dollar. God's going to give you ten, whatever it is, as they're stepping on to that multimillion-dollar private jet that the church or the organization paid for. It was from book sales is what they usually say. Or maybe uh, you got the message somewhere in your life that just God is just after your money. He just wants your money. He's trying to get his hands into your wallet, and your bank account, your investments, your 401k. In fact, maybe you heard the title of this series, Ahead of Time, uh, Be Rich, and you just went ahead and left your wallet in the car because it's like, all right, great. You know, another message about how the church or God just needs more of my money and just to calm your fears. Like, we're not even talking about giving Today, okay, we didn't even do our offering talk, which we normally do. We never pass the plate, uh, but it's, again, it's going to be this message: like, you know, if I give God one, you know, I'll get ten, and, and so give us your one. And it's natural; it's just natural to feel skeptical when a church starts talking about money, because maybe your fundamental belief has been that God is just chronically disappointed at you, that you don't give more. And if you believe that that, then you're going to feel tempted that you can just never give enough to make. God happy. Now there is an interesting fact to factor into the discussion and it is interesting that when it comes to wealth and when it comes to giving percentage-wise the wealthier you get percentage-wise the less you give. It's just a statistical truth and so interestingly and I promise this is not at all a political statement it's just a factual observation. But during the last election cycle, as you, many of you know, there were certain candidates that uh, spent a lot of time shaming the rich for being greedy. And yet behind the scenes, one of those millionaire lead candidates gave only 3.4% of their income to charity, and the other, who did achieve a very significant political role, gave less than 1.4%. So publicly, they were beating this drum about how the wealthy and the rich need to give more and be forced to give more. But apparently, whatever they were seeing in the mirror, like, but that's not me. I'm not rich. That's somebody with more. But it's just true. This is other people's problem. And so it's true that wealth reduces your generosity. In fact, one of my observations in my experience is that the people that make the most noise, especially on social media, about how the rich are greedy and how they should share and how they should give more, that they themselves give little to nothing to other organizations or to help other people. It's just a reality. So this is an other people's problem apparently. So wealth can reduce and it does reduce our generosity for some reason, but it also reduces our compassion. I mean, it's interesting. You can Google this and fact check me, but there are a number of studies that show that luxury vehicles are more likely to cut off other drivers in traffic than other cars. Luxury vehicles are also, and if you do crosswalks, you need to pay attention to this one, luxury vehicles are more likely to not stop when there's a pedestrian. Okay, so if it's a beamer coming, let it go. All right, so you're going to be uh, uh, ground paint. I just read an article in the Scientific American, which makes me sound smarter than I am, Uh, but this study, it showed a video, uh, they showed a video of children suffering from cancer to do two different groups of people, people that had a lot of wealth and people that didn't. Which one do you think reacted in in a more emotional way? The one that had less. They responded more emotionally to children suffering with cancer than those who had a lot of money. In fact, the research went on to show that the poorer people are, the poorer they are, the more likely they are to think about the suffering of others. And inversely, the the more money you get, the less you think about the suffering of others. Now this seems counterintuitive. You would think that having fewer resources would make a person feel more selfish But the wealth and abundance that we get and have for the wealthy it gives us more options it it gives us freedom it gives us independence from others we have to rely less on others so we become more self-focused we become more autonomous and we become less empathetic towards and more aware and less aware of the needs of others add to that if you feel like god's just trying to get your stuff well, then naturally, you're going to just try and hoard and hold on and keep a hold of everything you can. You're going to be more defensive. You're going to be maybe more critical of other people. And left unchecked, all of this is in me. Just like all of this is in you. In fact, just two weeks ago, I was having a good Guinness with a guy. He was having, and he was talking to me. He had a really, really rough childhood growing up. And we were talking about he grew up in uh, poverty at times. And he shared with me that he actually struggles to trust people who they themselves have not struggled. Because there's something about going through a struggle that makes you more empathetic. You get it better. It, gets, it gives you a different perspective on life. But there's this, there's this tendency to hold tight to our money. And it's a tendency that we all have. And again, if you add to the belief that just God just wants my money, then ironically, you'll never feel that you give enough, which means you're never going to feel contentment, which is what we all want. We all just long to get to a place where we're just content with what we have. And if, if, if I feel like God's just always trying to get my stuff, then naturally, I'm not going to feel content. Instead, I'm going to feel guilty. Or I'm going to feel like I've just got to hold on to, and, and hold on and hold uh, on to as long as I can to the stuff that I have and the money that I have. And I just got to try and get... Every ounce of joy out of everything. And then what ends up happening is happiness itself becomes contingent on these fleeting moments. And we end up living from purchase to purchase to upgrade to upgrade to vacation to vacation to when that next Amazon delivery lands on our porch and our, our, our friend or our spouse says, what's that? I don't know. I forgot. It's like Christmas every day. Just open it up. I don't even remember what I ordered. And, and, and then it ends up that it's like every ounce of happiness Is contingent on these little moments and every object and every uh, purchase and every acquisition in life. Now, you are smart people or you wouldn't be here, you wouldn't be watching. So I'm going to assume that you know or you have this thought surely, surely God's not that needy. Like, surely God's not that weak. Surely God's not that insecure. Like, just give me more so I can have more. In fact, part of the irony and the absurdity in, in a phrase that I've used already this morning, and it's the title of next week's specific message, God Just wants, uh, wants My Money, the irony is this, that God already owns it all. God already has it all. God doesn't need your money. God already owns it. And that fundamental shift in thinking can change everything. In fact, King David, he was one of the ones that tried to convince us of us, this, uh, us of this in Psalm 24. In this beautiful piece of poetry that begins, the earth, the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, and all its people belong to him. David's saying, listen, I'm just telling you, God's not trying to get your stuff, he's already got your stuff. Okay, he owns it. Everything is the Lord's. Everything's, everything is his. David wasn't the only one. Years before this, Moses was trying to convince the people as to why they should embrace who God is and follow what he says. And he talked about the strength and the work ethic that we possess. Okay, because let's be honest. Don't you have a tendency, at least inside, to think and to believe, hey, you know what? I've worked hard. I've worked hard. I've made my way. I, I saw opportunities, and I had the courage to pursue it and to apply and to go after it. I had the work ethic to, to jump on in. I, I've worked hard, and the stuff and the money that I have now is because I was smart. I, I worked for it. And Moses would say in Deuteronomy chapter 8, you may say to yourself something that we have all said to ourselves at one point or another. My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. And maybe you wouldn't say that out loud, but you've thought something like that along the way. We all have. And, and, and my power, my strength, the strength of my hands, my skill, my talent, my hustle, my intellect, has produced this wealth for me. I've worked for what I have. And that's all true. But he says, just, just a reality check. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. He caused you to be born when and where you were born. You had no control over that. He gave you your intellect. He gave you your drive, your work ethic, your ability to work. C.S. Lewis, one of the most famous apologists of Christianity and probably his most amazing piece, Mere Christianity, he wrote this. He spoke directly to this. He wrote, every faculty you have, the power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given to you by God. So if you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. That if you just tried the rest of your life to repay him, what would you be repaying him with? You would be repaying him with the things that he gave you. It would be like if you uh, have a t- had have raised a team. And we raised four of them. And at some point, for whatever reason, you you loan them $50. So now they owe you $50. And let's say their birthday comes around. And so for their birthday, you put a $50 bill in their birthday card. And they open it. They get their $50 bill. This is awesome. Thank you. Hey, I owe you $50. And they pay you back with that $50. OK, what are they paying you back with? The money that you gave them. In fact, now you're out 50 bucks. You can do the math later, okay? But you're, you're out. So I'm just telling you, this is just such a foundational thought that if we just paused and got it and pounded it into our heart and our mind because it's the key to not only understanding what we should do with our time and our talent and our treasure, but how we find what we all ultimately desire, contentment and peace. And for sure, we all want to feel that in the area of our finances, right? So to help us with that, Jesus tells this parable. In fact, he told numerous parables about this. Uh, we're going to talk about one next week that's a bit more practical and maybe a bit surprising, but the one that we're going to look at today is a foundational teaching that Jesus gives towards the end of his life on earth. So he's trying to instruct his disciples. He's just trying to pour everything he can into them. And Jesus was the master storyteller. He would just always make up these interesting stories to ultimately explain and give insight into what God is like, what heaven is like, what life is like, everything, really. And, and what you need to know, this was not planned at all, but weeks ago, I asked one of the members of our directional leadership team, TJ Lawson, to preach last Sunday, and he did a great job. And as it turns out, he and I are both dipping into the same parable of Jesus, and the beauty of this is this is just one example why I just want you to read your Bible especially the New Testament because for those of you that were here last week that it was a fantastic this is a fantastic example of how rich and applicable the teachings of Jesus are and how we can pull from one teaching we can draw multiple practical life applications that will make your life better and make you better at life. Last week, TJ leaned into the, to the aspect of this parable to draw out the futility of comparing ourselves to others, the comparison trap. And today, we're going to discover what we learned from Jesus in this, from this parable about how to view and handle our stuff. So in Matthew 25, Jesus said, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now, to help us have the picture, here's a man. He's got wealth. He's going on a journey. And at the time, there weren't Edward Jones offices around the corner. There weren't banks like we think of banks to put your wealth. But he decides to, and so he decides to entrust his wealth to these servants. He called his servants together and entrusted his wealth to them. So who owns the wealth? The master, the man, right? But who is he giving responsibility of the wealth to? His servants. So that's the setup. And here's how it went down to one, he gave five bags of gold to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability, and then he went on a journey. Now, one of the things that we can gather from this parable is that, yes, there is disparity in this life, okay? There are certain people that have been given a lot, but it's not because God loves them more, but it's based on their potential, based on their potential to use it well. Now, do we always use it well? No. No. But that's not the point. The point is that this isn't about favoritism. It's about potential. So to the one he gave five, to the one he gave two, to the one he gave one. one and you, if you, again, if you are here last week, you've heard this story before. You may have heard it before today. You know how this goes down. The one who had five bags of gold, he uses the money and he goes out and he makes five more. So 100% return on the money that's entrusted to him. That's a really good return. The second guy has his two bags. He turns around. He gets two more bags. It's like it just, just keeps getting better for the master, for the owner. He doubled the owner's money. But the third one, we're going to find out, he handled his money a little differently. But the point is that the master is ultimately going to hold them accountable for what they did with the money. So Jesus tells us in the story, after a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. So this wasn't a few days or a months. This would have been years, maybe many years. And he finally returns. And throughout the New Testament, Jesus was constantly pointing to the reality that in the future, in the future, there's going to be something. In the future, there's going to be some kind of reward for being a good steward of life in this life. And this is very important for us to understand, that there is a reward for managing someone else's stuff and money well. Well, what's the reward? Well, in Jesus' story, the reward was they were entrusted with more. And that's a great reward. But there was also something else. They also got to share in what Jesus said, the master's happiness. And this is important, and we can all get this. It's all true of us that there's something powerful in hearing from a person of authority in our life. Wow, well done. You did awesome. To imagine if there's a God, if we believe that there's a God. Most of us would say that if we're to stand before him one day, we would love to hear, we want to hear, well done my good and faithful servant. We all want that. We all want the coach to say, wow, great game. Like, you played so well. Like, you really shined. We all want the dad to say, I am so proud of you. You did such a good job. We all want the boss to say, man, you did so awesome. You did a great job. You're getting a big fat bonus this year. Everybody wants that. And it's more than just the tangible nature of the reward. It's getting to share in the joy of that authority person or that dad or that coach or the boss, the master, God, knowing that you did and played your part and you didn't play it well. Now last but not least, there's our third individual to the man that had been entrusted with one bag of gold. Things went differently. Uh, He came and he stood before the master and the guy's like, okay, I, I see what's happening here, all right, so I just want to let you know I had a different response with different results. So before I even tell you the results, I'm, I'm going to tell you my thought process, okay? So he gives the master his excuse up front. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. In other words, I know you're opportunistic. I know that you can be ruthless. I know that you're the kind of master that had I done something with your money and lost it, that would not have gone well for me. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. So the five-bagger and the two-bagger, they've got 100% return. The one-bagger just gives them his money back. What percentage is that? Zero. Okay, so the master got nothing back, and he is not happy. Now, as a heads up, uh, the master's reply, to me, seems a little harsh, okay? But the problem is this is not my story. This is Jesus' story. You can take it up with Jesus. He says, His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew. You knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest, but you didn't even do that. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has the implication, whoever has and stewards it well and does well, they're going to be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have or who has not stewarded well what they do have, even what they have is going to be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's like, oh, Jesus, like it seems a little extreme, you know, aren't you going a little overboard? Jesus would go, no, I'm this is serious. Jesus is trying to tell us, listen, there, there's a reward for doing well, which we like. But there's also consequence or punishment for not. He, he's saying, I, I, I want you to man, manage your money well. There will be something in it for you. But if you don't, essentially, there's, there's going to be hell to pay. He's telling us, hey, you need, you need to do this well, and I, and I would love to motivate you with the carrot, but I love you enough to tell you there's, there's a stick. There's consequences for not doing this well, and in this big picture parable, it just gives a philosophy for life. Jesus says, listen, here's the way I want you to see all of your money and all of your stuff. It's this one word, Stewardship. Stewardship is simply to use God-given gifts and resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals and objectives. Stewardship is, is the use of all that God has entrusted me with, not for my goals and my objectives, but for his goals and his objectives. That's what great stewards do, but we do not come into this world as great stewards, do we, right? Just Hang around a two-year-old long enough, okay? Put him with another two-year-old and put one toy between them. You're going to find out. We, don't naturally, we naturally want to hold on. We want to hoard. We don't want to keep for ourselves. As uh, many of you know, my wife and I raised four boys, which is why at this point in our life we just want to go to bed at 8 p.m., okay? Uh, but years ago, dinner was done, right? And I have a sweet tooth, like a sweet tooth and immediately done eating my meal, I want something sweet, okay? And usually, usually one of my favorites is a glass of milk and a frosted brown sugar Pop-Tart, which, for clarification, is the best Pop-Tart, all right? And you're not going to change my mind. Fight me. Just embrace it. Or a big, like, mixing bowl size of peanut butter Captain Crunch. Big fan. Uh, But on this particular day, uh, I remember we've got a mostly full container of one of my favorite ice creams in the freezer. So I started towards our dining area, and I I ran the corner, and there sits our second son. This is toe-headed boy. He's 13 at the time, and sitting before his face is a giant bowl of ice cream, and he's just about to plunge his spoon into this mountain of ice cream, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and then I looked at the bowl, and then I looked at him, and I said, Is that all of the ice cream? And immediately, uh, he froze. And we just locked eyes. And his three brothers overheard this, and suddenly they're like meerkats. Like, so what's happening? Brother's about to eat all the ice cream, right? And uh, there's like this moment, and suddenly, the absconder of the ice cream, he takes this big bowl, and he goes, (laughs) all over it. And I thought, you little piece of dog poo. OK, like I'm the one that worked for the money, that bought the car, that bought the gas, that went to the store, that bought the ice cream. I am the one that pays for this house, and paid for that fridge, that keeps that ice cream cold. And just I was thinking all of these things. And he deserved a butt whooping, like right then. But the problem was, and some of you who have raised children, you're going to know what I'm talking about, but he was a family comedian, okay? He got uh, so many punishments because he was just a funny kid. And I'm sitting there watching that evil grin on his face, and I couldn't help his laugh, all right? And his brothers are like, are you going to ground him? Are you going to punish him? What are you going to do? I'm like, no, that was genius. All right, checkmate. That is all yours, okay? We'll just drive and go get some more, but... But the funny thing is when I reflected back, when I reflected back on that, I just realized, you know what? <laughs> that's in me, right? Like, I, I got something, especially if I feel like I worked for it, I earned it or whatever, and suddenly I feel like somebody else wants to take it away from me. It's like, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm keeping this for myself. And that's in you too. It's in all of us. I mean, when you think about your time, think about your money, Think about your job, your relationships, your home, your cars, your bicycles, your vacations, your money, your discretionary income. If you have that, when you think of all that and we think about it, whose is it? Well, in our minds, it's ours. But Jesus would say, "Mm, no, that's not true. Like, it's not yours, it's been entrusted to you by the Master. So, if there's an opportunity that arises for us to meet a goal or an opportunity or objective of the one who gave it to us in the first place, then, well, why wouldn't we do that? What justification could we possibly use? And, and I recognize that at this point in the message, some of you are bracing yourself for, okay, well, here's where Chad is going to ask me to give to the church. No, we're not even talking about giving today. Uh, because honestly, I care about you not what you have to offer me or offer our church community. I mean, I do care about that, but that's not my primary objective as a leader at all. So if the church somehow is a hang-up because you don't trust churches and giving to a church, that's fine, then find other ways to be generous. Whether it's a hang-up or not, figure out what are the goals and the objectives of my loving Heavenly Father the owner of it all, and then begin to embrace this mindset of what can I do? What can I do with the resources that God has entrusted to me? What can I do to go and meet the goals and objectives of the master? How am I using my stuff? It's, it's saying to God, God, everything I have is yours, and, uh, and I only have a possession and control over it over a short time, and I'm to steward it. So, And when I die, I can't take any of it with me. It all gets left behind right? And so I'm going to do whatever I can to meet the goals and objectives of you, the one who gave me this in the first place. Now, please do not hear me say, feel guilty about what you have. That's not what I'm saying at all. Don't hear me saying, okay, you need to sell it all and give it all away and be homeless. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, the Apostle Paul, this is what he tells us about how we should view and handle our money. He says command, and the reason why that first word is so important is because what I said earlier, this does not come natural, especially the more that we have. So we need somebody to remind us or tell us, hey, here's how to do it right, because you won't do it naturally. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. About this time last year when everything shut down, we got a really clear picture of how uncertain things can be but to put their hope in an unchanging God who, listen to this, who richly provides us with everything. Why? For our enjoyment. So command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And this is so helpful. This is like really great news. It's like, listen, when God provides for you, if he gives you increase, if he gives you wealth, don't feel guilty about that enjoy it. Find joy, but just be careful because the temptation for all of us is to think it's all for us. And the way to keep from getting to that point is by making sure that you are consistently, whether weekly or monthly, putting some of it to work for the benefit of others. Paul's saying be generous with the master's wealth as he's generous with you. He's entrusted it to you for the benefit of not just of you, but for the benefit of other people as well. So please, please don't miss next week. But if we live in light of this, it just changes the way you think about a number of things. It changes the way you think about ownership. It makes you realize, okay, I'm a steward, not an owner. He owns it all. And you know what this feels like, all right? When, when, whenever somebody lets you borrow something of theirs, whether it's a tool or a utensil or a, a vehicle, whatever it is, somebody lets you borrow something and then you get a stain on it or the dog chews it up or it gets scratched or messed up or broken, you go, oh, no, like that, that wasn't mine. That's not mine. That was hers or his. And I feel terrib- terrible about this because I'm not the owner. And it makes us treat things hopefully in a better way because, hey, this is somebody else's. They entrusted it to me, and I and I, I want and I know and I care about the owner, and I want them to be glad that they were willing that they entrusted it to me. It also changes the way you think about responsibility. I mean, this is the way I wanted my kids to feel growing up. That whenever they were using something that I owned or that I entrusted them with or gave them use of, or if they were borrowing something from someone else to use, I wanted them to enjoy it, but I also wanted them to feel responsible for it. And it's an amazing thing that this is what God is actually doing with us, that God actually gives us opportunity, that he actually entrusts things to us because he believes in us. And he doesn't just give us, and the cool thing too is he doesn't give us a ton of parameters around it. So see, you know, Jesus and others, they, they definitely clarify the goals and the objectives of God but how we meet those needs and how we accomplish those is that like God gives us all of this creative freedom and it's a beautiful thing but he says just remember hey while you're enjoying it just remember it's not all for you and I'm going to come back and when I come back I'm going to ask you about it and that's called accountability and we don't like accountability None of us like accountability. We don't like to count the calories that we're eating. We don't want to count where all of our dollars are going. Uh, We don't want to keep up our spending. Uh, We resist accountability. But we have to understand that if we are really stewards, there is at some point going to be a level of accountability with God, with what he entrusts to us. And this isn't it might happen. No, Jesus says, it will happen. There will be a moment in time somewhere in the future that he's going to ask, he's going to sit down, all right, tell me what you did. Tell me what did you do with what I gave you? How did you spend what you have? What had? What, how did you handle it? And just like the master who called in each of his servants and said, okay, fill me in. What did you do? Tell me about the return. He asked because he wanted to know. And this is exactly what what will happen, and I can't tell you what it will look like or how, but the message of Jesus is clear that at some point along the way, in some way, there's going to be accountability, which means that every one of us should see ourselves every day as stewards of what God has given us, and, and that, that part of it, that part of it is, is simply for our needs. Part of it is just for our enjoyment, but part of it is to share, which prompts us into a whole other type of joy Now and in the future, because Jesus says there are rewards. Now, this one's a little tricky because based on what show you turn on, channel you turn on, or what you're watching on the internet, there are a lot of pastors that go off on the rails and they say, again, like if you give God one, he'll give you ten, which if they really believe that, they'd be sending you money, not asking you to send them. And just, you can figure that out later. But, or, hey, if you sow a seed, you will reap a harvest. And the hard part is fundamentally, I think that principle is true. I do believe God rewards us in this life for how we handle His stuff. It's just not always the way we think. It's not always financial. It doesn't always happen in the same sequence, at the same timing. And sometimes it's a lot. Sometimes it's a little. Sometimes it takes on a different form. But there is reward in this life for being a great manager of what God has entrusted to us. Now, maybe the reward is just sharing in the Master's happiness, and joy, Uh, getting to experience what it's like to meet his goals and objectives in and through us. Maybe it's that, but at the core, Jesus wants us to think like a steward in regard to ownership, responsibility, accountability, and rewards. So we're going to have some fun actually doing this, and you should know, I wish uh, we could do this for all of you, but actually, based on a couple things, it's going to be pretty close. You may all get to uh, participate uh, but uh, part of the reason we had to kind of limit is because we do have other things we need to fund, all right? But for those of you joining us in the room, for those that of you who aren't in the room, you should have been here. So uh, what I want you to do is I just need all of you to stand up if you're sitting in a chair and lean the chair back. I really mean this, like stand up <laughs> and lean the chair back and see if there's an envelope stuck under the front edge of your chair, and if it is, pull it off, but don't open it. All right. So who, who got something? Don't read the little notes. All right, hold it up. Let's see. Wave it in the air. Wave it like you just don't care. All right, very good. All right. So here's the deal. Some of you got a single bill. Some of you, because you got out there, were adventurous. Uh, how many of you got a 10? All right. Put your hands down. How many of you got a 20? All right. How many of you got a 50? All right, God, was, God must really love you. All right, see? See, kids, this is why you come to church. All right, so. Now, here's the thing. This is not your money. This is, this is our money. All right, when I say our money, I mean we're a church. We're, we're new life, okay? So this is our money. And uh, most of us, we give to this church because we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to be a part of what God is up to in this city now and in the future. And as we often say here, we take every dollar that you give. And my wife and I, we faithfully give here. We love this church. So we've got skin in the game right along with you. And uh, we take every dollar s- seriously. And this is no different. So this is not some frivolous thing that we're doing today. But if you are one of the people that got money under your chair, uh, or you found some under the other because you had that initiative, uh, we just learned, all right, between ownership, uh, about ownership, this is not your money, this is our money, there's responsibility, you're responsible, you're a steward to steward the money that you, that has been, been given, and there will be accountability, you're, you're going to be held accountable for how you steward our money, and then lastly, there will be a reward, and uh, you'll be rewarded for fi- fulfilling the goals and the objectives of the owner, and so here's Here's what we're asking of you. All we ask is that you would take the money that we've entrusted to you. And I would go so far as to say that God has entrusted to you because I don't think it's an accident that you're here today and that you're in the seats that you were. Uh, but uh, So I don't think it's an accident. But all we ask is that you would take that money and go do something kind for someone else. Go do something kind on purpose for someone else. And you might ask, well, what? all right. And because some of you, depending on your Enneagram type, okay, what are the rules? I need to follow the rules. Okay, okay. Uh, Do I have to use all of the money? Yes. Okay. Can you add money to it? Yes. Can it be a family member? Yes. All right. Honestly, you can do with it whatever you want as long as it's something kind for someone else. And it's even up to you if you tell whether or not you tell the other person uh, the source of this resource, uh, that it came from New Life. Personally, I think it's kind of a fun opportunity, especially if that person in your life is a, an unchurched or a de-churched person. I mean, I just kind of imagine the conversation like, yeah, I was in church last Sunday, and rather than them asking for me to give money, they just gave a bunch of us money. They just gave a bunch away, and I was one of them. So I just thought of you, and I wanted to take this and thought we'd do, I'd do something good for you. So enjoy it. You know, but there's no pressure. That, that's up to you, okay? And the little note card in the envelope, uh, basically that gives you the bottom line for the message today that I'm a steward, I'm responsible, I'm accountable, I'll be rewarded, and then it's got an email address on it, and I need you to report back what you did with the money in a timely manner, which means preferably before next Saturday, okay? What? The date is wrong? <laughs> that's my wife, <laughs> so, oh yeah, by next, by, yeah, like within six days, all right, thank you for clarifying that, so you have to report back before next Sunday, okay, uh, tell me what you did with the bunny and because it's not your money, it's our money, all right, and do something awesome, do something creative, do something kind for someone other than yourself, uh, tell us what you did, and then what's the reward? I don't know. God only knows what that is. It might simply just be the fun of getting to do it. I mean, one of the things I get to do is because of my role is I get people and they're feeling generous and they just want to anonymously bless somebody else or bless another family. Or I had a family just come and give me an envelope of, of money and said, "Hey, you kind of know what the needs are out there. Just make it happen." And so then I get to see the look on people's faces and then get report back to report back to these other people. Hey, here's what your money your money did that I stewarded. Okay. So this is your chance to get to do that. Uh, it might be something more. God only knows. And some of you are like, well, i Some of you might be thinking right now, I don't think I want this pressure this week or this responsibility, okay? That's okay. If you don't want to, you're welcome to hand your envelope to somebody else that's gripping their envelope tightly. They will help you out with that. They'll bundle that together. Hand it to a host team member. But, I mean, you don't have to do this, okay? But I would love for you to, to take our money... And to use it to go do something kind on purpose for someone else. Because one of our core values as a church is irrational generosity. That we would maximize our resources to bless others and to reach those far from God. And so this is just a great simple exercise of stewardship and generosity. And when was the last time you went to church and rather than ask you for money, they gave you money, right? A little irrational. God wants us to experience true generosity. It's really what it's really like to experience deep contentment and satisfaction and to experience joy. And how we view our stuff will determine how we steward our stuff and how we steward our stuff will determine our level of joy. And if you want to show God that you're the kind of person that he can trust with more, then you begin by being faithful with what he's already put in your hands and to show him you can be entrusted with more, No matter how small or insignificant it might seem in your eyes right now. And maybe God will just use this process to help grow us to become an even more generous church. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, I, I just come before you on the behalf of all of us. Because oftentimes this can be so much easier to say than do. Because there is such a lure... Um, to get a hold of more, and especially when we're coming, uh, exiting a season where so much felt like it was out of control, we'll latch on to things that we feel like we can control, and this is one of those areas. And Father, Jesus said when he left this earth that he was sending a helper, his Holy Spirit, and so Father, I I pray uh, your Holy Spirit that that Holy Spirit would help us in this. I pray for everyone that now has been entrusted with this resource that you will very quickly bring to mind who it is that you would lead them to bless. And Father, that you would just do more than we could ask or imagine with all of this. Thank you for being so generous to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.